0: Hey, Josh, guess what we're eating right now? I don't know. What are you eating, Brendan? Official visit cookies, and they're delicious. All
1: right. This is probably an NCAA violation.
0: Not my problem. Welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Snee, Josh Newberg, uh, fresh off covering the Will Putnam official visit, so we're going to get into that. Going to talk about official visits coming up next week, and hey, Florida State had its best win of the season, probably right. Somebody forecasted that, and that's Chris. Uh, FSU beat Wake Forest thirty-eight seventeen, so we're going to go over that. But first, we're going to talk about recruiting a little bit while we have Josh and paying somewhat attention, and then we'll let him go. And Chris and I will get into the uh, the ins and outs of the Wake Forest win. But let's talk a little bit about recruiting. Will Putnam literally just left on Monday morning. Had an official visit, Chris. I'll kick it off to you so you can talk about uh, basically what what he learned on the visit and what we learned about what he liked on it.
1: He had a good old time. He called it a 10 when asked to rank it 1 to 10. I didn't ask him that because I don't really like asking guys to rank a visit 1 to 10, but whatever. Um, He hung out with Alec Everly, Brady Scott, several others, but those were the two by name. He really enjoyed his time with them. I think for him this visit was about – he wanted to get a feel for the team culture, what it's like to play for Willie Taggart, what it's like to be a part of that program. I think the thing that surprised him the most about the visit was the academic presentation. I think they did an outstanding job for a kid that does care about academics, of making it very much geared towards him, specific to him, and he came away very impressed by it all. He, uh, he loves Greg Fry. They've known each other a long time. Their relationship predates FSU – His general interest in FSU is very high. It's an FSU-Auburn-Clemson battle. I'm of the opinion FSU is still in the catbird seat.
0: Just for clarification, the cookies, I don't know if they're official visit cookies, but they were left over where they host official visits, and we're eating them right now. Uh, I'm eating them right now. I'm
1: trying to keep you focused here.
0: Josh, uh, I know you weren't uh, you weren't able to talk to Will immediately after the visit, but you do you have covered his recruitment pretty uh, pretty in depth. I guess what what's important to, to Will Putnam and what chords has Florida State struck that that you think have put them in a good position up to this point? How's that for a leading question?
2: Definitely uh, his relationship with Greg Fry, dating back to Fry's time at Michigan. Um, A lot of people like to say Will Putnam is a must-get, as an in-state offensive lineman, but people got to remember he's been in-state maybe less than a year, Um, so he's really not an in-state offensive lineman. He's pretty much open to to all schools, but nonetheless he is very important because he is an early-impact type player at a position of need. Um, Florida State can sell that, which they obviously are and have been, Um, but really I think it's going to come down to relationships. And um, Clemson has made the biggest push uh, this season, or I should say a big push, not the biggest, because for a time uh, Auburn was the perceived leader. But I'm not going to say Clemson's the perceived leader, but I think that's the program that both Auburn and Florida State are watching um, as they've locked in a visit, as Chris said, for November 17th. Um, I think this recruitment's far from over. You know, FSU's going to definitely have to weather that storm of – his visit to Clemson. So we will see what happens. Um, but, again, I, I just think this thing comes down to relationships.
1: He indicated that in a, a decision would likely come roughly two weeks after the Clemson visit. So we're right. talking early December. Plant will be a playoff team. They usually contend for at least the semifinals, if not state championship. So he'll probably be playing high school ball till mid-December. So it wouldn't shock me if he kind of delays it until mid to late December. But he is an early enrollee so the decision will have to come. But it's going to be one of those three. I don't see another party getting involved here. I'm of the opinion FSU's in the best spot, mainly because of the relationship with Fry, the need, and the fact that he's now seen that he would fit into it. But I'm not dismissing Auburn nor Clemson. Auburn's been in there a long time. Uh, The offensive line staff at Auburn has done a very good job with them, and Clemson obviously is doing it on the field, and that's probably their biggest selling point. And they've had the shortest relationship of the three.
0: Alright, cool. So uh, so where are your guys' crystal balls at right now?
1: I have mine on FSU. I'm not moving it off, obviously keeping an eye on uh, November 17th visit to Clemson.
2: Yeah, I agree. I've had mine on FSU. Um, I think we did those in the summer. So uh, coming off this visit, there's absolutely nothing that would make me change my crystal ball pick. Um, now we just kind of wait and see on this Clemson visit and see where things stand afterward. I know I wouldn't say, I checked in with Anna Hickey last week on William Putnam, and I wouldn't say there's confidence that that, uh, Clemson is going to land him, but the staff does like where they currently sit with him and just in the relationship-building process.
1: Yeah, and one thing to understand about Clemson recruiting is Clemson doesn't cast a wide net. Clemson's a very focused recruiting bunch, and they don't miss a whole lot. So when they truly sink their teeth in, They feel confident they can land a kid. They feel that way with Putnam. They feel that way with Tyler Davis, for example. They're not one of these that, oh, we're recruiting five guys for two spots and whatever happens, happens. They're not that type. They're recruiting two guys for two spots most times, and they have a backup plan, but they're really, truly focused on, we're just trying to get this guy for this spot, and they hit at a very high rate currently.
0: All right, anything else on Putnam before we turn the page?
1: No I like I, mean, that
0: he, I like that he kind of took a, took a dump on the previous staff a little bit,
1: <laughs> which is funny because he didn't have a ton of involvement with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was funny. He did speak quite a bit about culture and the change and the dynamics of it all and how the team is very much a unit. And it's not you know the O line hanging out or the O line, which it certainly used to be. So I thought that was pretty interesting. But all in all, the visit weekend for FSU, they had one football official, two basketball officials. They had a few other football guys of note, Travis J, Zane Herring, both Madison County boys. Travis is committed to FSU, Zane's major target for 2020 on the offensive line. Uh, Derek McClendon, 2019 commitment from Tucker, Georgia, was in. He had a good time. You know, I thought it was interesting for an unofficial visit, he was – Super attentive and involved, far more than your average unofficial visitor. He came out with Coach Snyder out of locker room onto the field early. They were talking quite a bit. Just it, it was interesting how engaged she was. And I think some of that's his personality. He kind of he works that way. He's not a kid that keeps to himself. He enjoys football. He enjoys learning about it. Dealing with the people that he decided to commit to. Um, and then Hoops had two major official visitors: James Wiseman, number one player in the country, according to the composite and Balsa Kopervicka, who's from Montverde. With Wiseman, he, uh, he won't talk a whole lot about the visit. We might get him, you know, maybe this week, maybe after the Memphis official this coming weekend. I still think that's Kentucky-Memphis at the top. With Balsa, I think FSU has a very good shot. They've been on him in a very long time. I think the staff has done a good job of showing that they want him, regardless of the situation he's in, while there's some other staffs I think have wanted him for different reasons. I think the lasting power of is he will pay off there. I think that that's a guy who very likely could end up in the basketball commitment class.
0: No one cares about basketball recruiting.
1: I Josh, know. What you, I Josh, do. Josh, I do.
0: Josh, what do you what do you got uh, this upcoming week? Clemson, uh, big game for Florida State, and we're expecting uh, potentially some some big official visits. Correct? Yeah, it's going to be a. Uh... It's
2: going to be a big, well, I don't want to say big visit weekend in comparison to Florida, but I guess this is kind of like FSU's um, third biggest visit weekend. I put Virginia Tech second, and then UF weekend is probably going to be first. Um, But Chris confirmed some big news this morning that, uh, you know, it was kind of in question that Cardinal Thomas, when he would exactly come in for his official, but we confirmed that today. And also uh, Tyreion Davis. This was an interesting one. Um, he's a six foot one, 230 pound running back from Southern lab. He's teammates with Cardell Thomas and he's been committed to LSU as well since, um, since about 2017, midway through 2017, but he's coming in with Cardell and the two are a bit of a package deal. They definitely want to play together on the next level. Um, we reported that this morning. I don't know, right. You know, this is going to be Davis's first visit to Florida state. Um, there is some interest there, as we reported last week. Willie Taggart was at Southern Lab for practice um, to use his one evaluation, so he did lay eyes on Davis. Um, and the two are coming in this weekend. is going to take a big swing at him and, and kind of see what happens. I don't have a lot of optimism right now that they land Cardell Thomas. Um, even at the peak hype of Thomas to FSU over the summer, We had said that this was contingent on on some some turmoil at LSU. Um, LSU has gone out and had a pretty good season. They're playing well. I don't see that turmoil uh, happening. I think Cardell Thomas remains committed to LSU and, and ends up signing with them. But I will say... That if Thomas were to flip, I think the one school that would have a shot would be FSU. He and his family genuinely appreciate and admire what, what Willie Taggart's done at Florida State and what he's going to do at Florida State. Um, there is general interest. His parents came in on their own dime with Cardell for Saturday Night Live in July. Um, so this is this is their shot. I probably would have liked to see this visit take take place closer to signing day, but um, hey, this is it. So. I think FSU will do a good job with both teammates. And as far as the running back, as far as Davis goes, um, Florida State doesn't need a a back in 2019, but they would take a good one. They certainly don't need just a placeholder, just a body. um, With the depth that they have and the talent that they have on the roster, it would be a guy like this. They would only take a guy like this. It's kind of why you saw them back off Ty Edwards uh, and some of the others, because they're looking for somebody that's special, and I think Davis is that.
1: Yeah, Josh is right. FSU certainly wasn't in the market for a back this year, but Davis is a guy who's capable, and you never know what might happen in that room during the offseason. So he's not a guy that it would be poor to take onto the roster. Uh-huh. You know, Using that spot isn't going to hurt them long term. Yeah. With Thomas, it was more situation LSU needed to screw it up than anybody else could do something about it. LSU hasn't screwed it up. They've been successful on the field. Truthfully, Thomas is one of the most ardent recruiters for LSU. He's been out- outstanding for that, yeah. in that regard. He's very vocal Um, The visits are about the only knock anybody has against him as far as him being a recruiter for LSU. But he's been adamant that he was going to take visits. He went to Penn State earlier this year. He's come to FSU. I think he may take one or two more. He's a guy who just wants to do it. He wants to enjoy the process. No knocking him there. Other potential official visitors this weekend, Sam Howell's a maybe. I believe Howell would like to come in from how it's been explained to me, but I don't think he can stay in the Monday and he can't get in until early Saturday. So when it be the full 48 hours. I think FSU would prefer to have a visit that's a full 48 hours when it's an official visit with him. But either way, I think Howell wants to come this weekend. We'll see if it ends up being an official, if they try to bump the official to later in the year, when he can do the full 48. And if Howell does come and travels, um, drives, I expect Quivira's couch, however you say Q's first name, I expect him to potentially be with him, regardless of if it's an official or not. I expect him to come with him. I don't expect it to be an official for Crouch, though. FSU wants to bring Crouch in on an official later in, the year, in November.
0: And intern, in turn, Zach said that the noon start for FSU is kind of detrimental and to the extent yeah. because of testing that Yeah, day, it's correct? an
1: ACT weekend, too. That always hurts. FSU, obviously, anybody that's been here for games from anywhere around the state or in Georgia or Alabama or nearby states understand it's not an easy drive. It's not an easy place to get to. So for visitors, it will be a little complicated with being a noon kick. A lot of kids play late in a Friday night. Some will make that overnight drive, but some parents and coaches aren't able to do that for those kids. So the visitor list I think will be fairly good. I don't think it will be insane by any stretch. If it was an 8 p.m. kick, it might be a little different.
2: I agree with that. And I also, just on the Sam Howell stuff, um, I think Florida State absolutely – needs to get Sam Howell in on official in December. Uh, Chris and I were on a call this morning just chatting about this and use him as as, you know, these big visit weekends in December are just as important as the ones in January now because of the uh, early signing period. And Having Sam Howell come in for a day and a half or, or, or is just not on a Clemson weekend is not nearly as valuable as having him on campus with five or six big time uncommitted targets in December right before signing day. So I think that they need to do everything they can to convince Sam to uh, push off this official visit.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think the staff would prefer for it to be at a point where Sam's able to enjoy the full 48. And from what I understand, he can't stay this weekend into Monday, so that's not available for them.
0: All right, Josh. I uh, promised you less than fifteen minutes. We're going on to minute fourteen. You got one minute to give us hot takes. Whether you want recruiting, whether you want the Wake Forest game, Clemson coming up, my uh, Facebook live appearance, whatever you want. You got a minute.
2: I'm not really sure. Well, your Facebook live appearance is trash. I got a lot of reports back <laughs> on that. But they can't wait till I'm back. Um, but my hot take would be. Uh, it's not what the
0: comments section said.
2: My hot take would be could it's just imagining after watching wake forest i was imagining what this offense would look like with a quarterback that could run the football that could read a rpo and make a great decision um man i just i was smiling after the game just just imagining what florida state's offense would look like with a capable quarterback
1: yeah saturday was funny in that way not to transition completely but francois played really well he was excellent at throwing it down the field pushed it really well what he's good at, he did great, but the system they're trying to run, the other Brilliant. quarterback runs that system far better. So it's kind of a weird balancing act of watching the two quarterbacks in action.
2: So, Chris, I got a question for you. I know, uh, and you did correctly um, predict that FSU would play their best game in the season, but how did you feel after Wake Forest gets the ball, drives all the way down the field, and then FSU had three three-and-outs in a row?
1: <laughs> I mean, I— FSU starting slow is nothing new. It's what they do. Truthfully the moment of like good lord could it get any the moment of could it get any worse was the Keith Gavin fumble on the long completion. That was that was like one, that's so Keith Gavin it's incredible. And two, it was just like, you know, things were starting to go right and then that happens. Luckily the defense again swung to momentum with the interception that they recorded. But, yeah, I I thought FSU actually played really well. They were somewhat put in a spin for the first, what, 30 or so plays of the game Uh by Wake. That tempo was insane. I think Wake going so fast after incompletions and miscues is what really got them off guard, plus the substitution issues that FSU abandoned. So Yeah. But, no, Wake's not a great opponent, and FSU coming off a bye I thought would be – a better-looking team, and I thought Cam would get it going to some degree, and he did. So those things coming true didn't really surprise me.
2: Yeah, no, I think relatively speaking, this was the best performance uh, Florida State put on except for the first two quarters against Miami.
0: You, so, you guys have completely just uh, disrupted the flow that I had. Sometimes, Sonoma, people just
1: want to hear us talk. Go, it's then go. You right. know what? I'm done. You guys go. You do it. <laughs> Rest of the pot, do it.
2: Man, you're, <laughs> me you're Chris, going. I'm just going to record our, our morning – uh, phone calls and just submit that for podcasts. That'd actually be really
0: good content.
2: It'd be excellent. <laughs> except, <All right>. for, <laughs> except
1: for what occurs, yeah. I don't think it would be very popular. With some, people
2: don't, some people don't like that.
1: I'm trying not we to We could just it.
2: play it on the big three roll up. What's right. that? I've hang, never hang, heard of hang that. Hang up on him. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Thanks,
0: Josh. Hang up. Bye. <laughs> all right. Now that half of you have probably tuned out, do you want to talk about Wake Forest a little bit more in depth? Yeah. So that was you yeah. predicted FSU was going to have its most complete game. I think I predicted them to score 31 points, and they actually scored 35. So the best offense 38. 38 oh yeah. I predicted
1: 34-17. They got 38-17. Had had but the reality is they probably should have had at least 41. Thank you, Ricky, for missing a kick. Potentially 48 if Keith you include Gavin, the key play. Yeah. But they got that right back and put it in the end zone. So that play kind of still – it still resulted in a touchdown that drop. Yeah, because they got the, yeah. the Asante Playing and the
0: Um so 30, 38-17 would be the score, and it was certainly FSU's most complete performance of the year, uh, even with the slow start and falling down 10-0. Uh, the way the team routed off 38 unanswered uh, was really impressive. The defense got it going with Brian Burnsack, but then the offense was able to complement what the defense did, scored when it got you know a short field, which is something that we haven't necessarily seen this year. So uh, you know, f- for me, the biggest takeaway I have, Chris, is that we keep seeing incremental growth each and every week. I know the qualifiers it's Wake and Wake Forest isn't very good, but Florida State wasn't very good at the beginning of the year. The fact that they were able to play a game that was as complete as it was, despite having some flaws early on, I think is telling of of where the program is going. And this is coming after the Miami loss, too. So you had a bye week to kind of stew on that, and, and it maybe start off slow, but, but they got things going after a few minutes, and, and it was an impressive win.
1: Yeah, and they only scored 10 points in the third quarter. But I thought that offensively was one of the best quarters they've had all year. Mm-hmm. The offense had a rhythm to it. It had a meaning. You know, Cam got it going with the two real nice runs back-to-back, 75-yard touchdown drive. He completely engineered that. His best run of the season, as you said, was that 17-yarder before the 58-yarder. 58-yarder, Elk, Eberly gets the second level, springs it. The running game finally had some momentum chunk plays. They were there. I thought DeAndre really commanded the offense very well throughout that whole quarter. When I went back and rewatched, it impressed me how good they looked in the third quarter, despite the scoreboard not getting lit up a ton.
0: Yeah, DeAndre got in a rhythm there. Uh, was it on the it was a drive he hit the Gabe neighbors?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I yeah, I'm uh, sure it was involved. Well, no.
0: I'm talking about the first in, half is yeah. when they had their first touchdown, and he got him going in the cam scores on the short run. But that was when yeah. DeAndre started getting in a rhythm, and, and just reminds you of, of when he's on especially his fastball, his ability to push the ball you know, 20 yards downfield, either over the middle or on the sideline is, is damn special. When he has time and he feels confident, uh, finds Nooney over the middle. I, I think he hit uh, Tamarian Terry for a 23-yard gain, and Terry breaks uh, off a few extra yards after the catch. So, so he spreads the ball, and that was kind of the beginning of him distributing the ball. I think he hit four guys for about nine yards or more on that drive, including a couple of chunk plays. And once he got going, uh, that – that opened up the run game a little bit later on that we saw. Cam Akers showed some decisiveness. It's been two games in a row now where he's been a little more emphatic in between the tackles where he's actually finishing runs in encouraging patience. I think that's the important yeah. thing with Cam. He's, he's patient between the tackles, and, and it pays off with that long run.
1: He earned a lot of praise from Willie Taggart after the game, and it didn't sound like just normal coach speak of, hey, this guy had a good game. Let me say nice things about him. Mm-hmm. It sounded like light came on. The yeah. kid realized wasn't playing real well, needed to play better, did something about it in practice. It paid off in games.
0: Willie said after the game that, that the difference for him wasn't what happened in between the game. And, and it sounds cliche, but it's been reaffirmed like that, that Cam actually spent extra time watching film yep. by
1: himself, unsolicited. If you watch the end of the 58-yard run, the mm-hmm. way it's celebrated, sure. and I'm not just talking in the end zone hanging out with your boys, I'm talking about along the sideline with – Uh, Tagger coming up to him, D.K. coming up, David Kelly coming up to him, multiple other members of the support staff, the coaching Mm -hmm. staff, Pimp came up, multiple players, offense and defense. Mm -hmm. It was a release for Cam to have that play. It was clear as day that he needed that. The frustration had built to a damning amount, and he really needed something for it to break and to allow him to be who he is. And there's something about Cam that if he's able to get the ball rolling downhill, he'll put it together. Mm -hmm. He'll have production. It just has become such a stumbling act from this year up to that point that it almost was uh, self-destructive in a way yeah. in my opinion
0: yeah and it, it was cathartic based on the way everyone responded and, and not only were guys going up and celebrating with him but they were like pulling him aside and, and talking to him yeah. for like good 10 15 seconds Stanford Sanders the third was a defensive guy who came up hugged him DJ Matthews was dancing with him it was it was something that I think everyone had wanted so bad and no you know, we talked about this on the last pod Chris. People talking about transfer rumors. We haven't heard anything about him wanting to transfer, but we have heard consistently from multiple places, enough to where I know it's true, he was frustrated. Oh, like it, crazy, yes. yes. Um, and I asked Willie after the game about that being kind of a light bulb moment to, to show when you put in a little bit of extra work, a little bit of extra time, you're a little more focused, and it pays off. Like, what does that What does that mean? And, and Willie said, yo, yeah, it's not just for Cam. He thinks that's something, or at least he's hopeful, that's something that – that resonates with the entire team. And We'll say we we'll see. It's a tough stretch coming up, but, but that was significant on Saturday.
1: Going into the season, Cam was praised a great deal for being a leader, being more vocal, setting an example, doing things. I don't think that persisted through his struggles in the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. I think frustration manifested its way in a negative manner for Cam. That was detrimental to him and the impact he makes on his team, even if he's not intentionally making that impact. Mm-hmm. Just the way it kind of feeds off him. I think the success he found Saturday, hopefully it continues for him. I think it can have a very positive effect for that offense and the running game. I mean, J.P.'s going to run hard. There's no question that Patrick's going to bring it consistently. He's proven that time and time again. But I think as a whole, when good things happen for the offense, it can have a snowball effect for other guys.
0: And with, with Cam, too, and his personality, like I remember when he came here last year, he was so well-liked and respected early on, even by older guys. Um, because of the way he carries himself. And I think that's something that carried over from his time in high school, and he was the guy. But, but he would be so adaptable with different groups of, of people, and that's something that he was always praised with or praised for back in Clinton, Mississippi. And he carried that over with him to Florida State. Somewhere along the line, I think late last year, maybe even at times this season, uh, frustration kind of sunk in to the point where he lost some of that. Yeah. And, and to your point, Chris, I think that, that can trickle down in a locker room getting that back a little bit uh, make no mistake if that's something that becomes sustainable throughout you know, the rest of the season and again it's going to be a tough stretch coming up you got clemson this week at nc state boston college notre dame florida those are five good defensive fronts but if he can even produce some of, of what we saw against a really bad wake Forest defense moving forward I, I, yeah that that does a ton for this offense and it's,
1: they're never going to run the ball at a great clip per run but not this a matter of needing chunk plays yeah and that 17-yard run is how he has to run consistently when he has a small window. Mm-hmm. And the 58-yard run is 100% how he has to run when it the play is there. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they block it up and they do their job and the window to the second level is wide open, hit that thing, take it.
0: Yep. Yeah, you gotta you got to take advantage of that opportunity and finish. And that's something like against Virginia Tech, he didn't finish. This time he finished. Like th- Those are the little differences that, that we're seeing when we talk about progress.
1: Best offensive player on Saturday was Noonie Murray.
0: He was awesome. He was really reliable, steady, kept getting open, kept catching the ball. DeAndre kept going to him. And it was a – I'm looking at the stat line here. Eight catches, 131 yards, one touchdown. You know, the, the play that stands out is that 33-yard touchdown on fourth mm-hmm. and three in the second half. But a
1: little show out and go up.
0: Yeah, he was wide open. Uh, pressure came. DeAndre almost got hit on it and kind of had to leave the ball a little bit high, um, which would turn out to be a good idea, um, but that almost didn't happen. But but that's a quiet performance for, for Noonie, and, and he's really kind of taken on – again, you talk about guys kind of buying in. He's a senior.
1: He's engaged.
0: Yes, he is, and that's the first time we've seen him consistently engaged since maybe that stretch back in 2016 when he first broke out. Against Clemson, mind you, that was his uh, breakup performance as a, as a sophomore.
1: There was a crossing – when DeAndre started a little cold, there was a crossing pattern – with underneath where Nooney was a target and it was behind him. And Nooney showed frustration on the field, mm-hmm. but watching them walk off the field, he went up to DeAndre, patted him on the head. They talked. For two guys who emotionally sometimes don't handle situations best, I know their boys are best friends. I thought it was very interesting that it was clear as day as we'll get them next time. Like mm-hmm. it was they were confident in one another's ability to be successful within the game plan and what you can do to Wake Forest. It's
0: impressive with what Nooney's doing. I don't have the season stats right now, but, but he's, again, someone who's gotten progressively better, I feel like, throughout the season. Uh, offensive line – well, let's focus on wide receivers still. Treshawn Harrison's really, really impressive.
1: Terry play. had the phenomenal catch on the play that, that came away off the board to the Jawan Williams. Oh, <laughs> Progress for Jawan Williams. Got Calling cut. that only holding is not doing it justice. He dropped to knees and was yanking the dude's jersey for two yards. <laughs> what was funny is live watching that play, I, I saw him
0: do it. But there wasn't a flag, and so my eyes then followed the ball downfield. He Fan, caught it. Fans
1: who booed that penalty? No, no. <laughs> like I hate penalties as much as the next guy, but no, that is textbook belligerent penalty. Well, you know, he may have deserved two flags. I don't know what the second one before, but it was so belligerent.
0: I'll say as poor as the ACC officiating has been the past couple weeks, uh, FSU is beneficiary of getting away with a bunch of
1: holdings. Yeah, the but day. Wake held. The hell That's fine. At least FSU it's at least it's consistent Saturday. then. Brian Burns either was getting free or getting that's held. True. There was no in between for the dude on Saturday.
0: That's true. At least it was fairly consistent both yeah, the way. But a lot of jerseys. Yeah, Terry right. has the big catch. He's now six nationally uh, with 22 yards per reception, and that's with that 50. Uh, was it 53 yarder?
1: But it was fifty plus yards, fifty eight. But it was a nice ball. It was amazing.
0: It was a good ball over the top, and and Terry just makes a great catch. Uh, Yeah. So the Trayshawn Harrison reception again, you see how special he is, and what's cool with with first career touchdown. Yep, first career touchdown, um, and does a really spin, a really a really cool spin move and juke move. Willie said it's like he hits circle and then L one. Um, It's
1: fun. Him and DJ Matthews athleticism are fun to watch for me. DJ is so quick and sudden. Treshawn looks like he's on ice skates. They're both the way he moves. super
0: graceful and fluid, and they move in a way that doesn't almost seem natural, yeah. uh, which is cool, and you're finding ways to get them the ball. But I thought what was really neat, again, when we talk about progress, Treshawn Harrison's reception came after earlier in the game. I think it was in the first quarter. It, the dude must have st- lined up incorrectly three times, yep. uh, on the line, off the line, on the line, off the line, finally got it right. And you could tell he was thinking so much, he then runs the wrong pattern. DeAndre wanted to throw it short. He goes downfield to yeah. block. He's and running into
1: a defender as the ball's slipping a, behind him. What should be a
0: curl pattern yeah. would have been open on DeAndre jumping up and down emphatically. And that's when they were, I think that was on their second drive where they had the if, three and out. If
1: you play him young, you got to take the lumps.
0: I guess my point being is that that's true. Uh, the light at the end of the tunnel is you see you see that, and I think that's kind of what's encouraging and why, like, me personally, I feel a little bit up- upbeat about this team. I, I make no mistakes about, like, what Wake Forest is and their, their poop, but, again, Florida State was poop not that long ago, and they're not poop anymore.
1: They've shown progress. That's yeah. The, that's the pleasing. Absolutely. One, there's buy-in across the board. There's buy-in on that mm-hmm. team, and two, there's progress. They're going to obviously get punched across the jaw, on Saturday by Clemson, and we'll see how they respond. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very big statement game, regardless of winner or losing. I expect them to lose, obviously. I guess I shouldn't say obviously, but the yeah. line, the line it's a seventeen point you, line. Yeah, the line says you should expect them to lose. But I think it's very important to see how FSU plays. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about winning or losing or doing everything perfectly. It's do they put together a four quarter effort where they try to. Keep building. It's not so much about winning on Saturday for once where it's not about winning that one game. It's about setting yourself up for that final four. How are you going to play to stretch out? You know, you you, you have good feelings coming off Wake, which you should. It's Wake. They're kind of built to help you. They facilitate that with a poor defense. Yeah, but that hasn't always been the case
0: in recent years. Wake has given a hard time. take advantage of it and
1: keep building on Mm -hmm. it. Let's see. You know, it was nice to see young guys get involved on offense. Up shirt's not a young guy, but he's not been much of an offensive weapon. And you look
0: natural in two receptions. He had a couple
1: excellent receptions. Keyshawn Helton gets a catch that he had. You know, Gabe Neighbors touches the Baby On Baby ball John Johnson, let's give John it to the gets offensive Leverne, line. Pushes that EO line.
0: I, I would have kept playing him, to be honest. I thought he looked better than, than Mike Arnold did. Mike Arnold's
1: a complete conundrum this year for me. He's not very good.
0: He has But him. he's
1: a long term player for them. So are they trying to build him up for the future, is kind of what I presume. But it's so funny. He basically got himself benched based off a very good observation by our Shafel of mm-hmm. of him and Fry not agreeing during the grease board session on the sideline. And Fry had had enough, so he put Baby on And, and they scored a touchdown. Baby on has a little extra push on the O line at the end. They're playing guard. It's good to see. But they go back to Arnold. It's almost it's, – it's an odd situation for me with Arnold because he's one guy that's played the most consistent snaps other than Alec Everly. And I don't really know why he deserves them when there are some other options at guard. Arthur Williams could give you some snaps here and there. Guys like that. So Arnold's been a weird case for them, but I think they're playing a the long game with him there.
0: I mean, that makes sense to an extent. Yeah, to, to your point with like how consistent it's been, every position on the offensive line has seen at least one different starter on it other than center. And Mike Arnold, right? Guard's the only other consistent place where he's been a steady
1: starter from, from week one to week seven. Clemson game has the potential of being the first time this year, FSU started the same O line in back to back games or the same yep. O line group in any game.
0: And we were trying to think about it be- before we started recording. They they ended uh, before garbage time. They ended with the same offensive line that they started. Now, uh, Brady Scott left the game for a series or two mm. uh, around half. Time. Bench
1: for a brief moment. Yeah,
0: but they went back to that group. Yeah, maybe Louisville they had all the way through, but then of course the next game, uh, Landon Dickerson he starts that game. They don't give up a sack, and then the next game, Dickerson's not in the lineup again because he's dealing with a, with an, uh, an injury. So yeah, you actually have some, some chance to develop continuity and uh, you know something that that probably didn't I didn't discuss enough after the game the offensive line didn't give up a sack. Second time this the season. When was the last time in the season FSU's had two games where they in, in a year where they haven't given up a sack?
1: Yeah, and DeAndre did get lit up a couple times. He did. There was one where he stood in, delivered, and got whacked. Hard. And
0: part of that, Willie said, uh, he, he talked to the Jeff Cameron show today, uh, I guess it was I this if, morning. Yeah, it was this morning on the Interview morning. recorded
1: for Monday morning. Yeah.
0: Um, and he said there's sometimes that DeAndre still has to get rid of the ball quicker, and, and sometimes that works out great for him because he's tough and will stay in the pocket. We already know that about DeAndre. And I think Willie's learning that about him too. But there's other times where it, yeah, it's not. He doesn't think it's good for his long term. Not even just health, but just his mental aspect of the yeah. game. Is I think I think DeAndre frustrated. going
1: back in Washington, Miami, film reinforces that for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So
0: yeah, so you got to keep him safe. But overall, offense uh, above average performance against a really bad defense.
1: Growth. talking about Good day to build on. You feel a lot better about yourself watching the film than you have at a lot of other moments this year. Agreed.
0: Agreed. Um, Uh, You see the explosiveness. You see the talent. Let's go to defense where, uh, to me, the the big takeaway other than Brian Burns just being a beast is... B-A-M-F. Nine sacks this season, which is first amongst all Power 5 teams. All against ACC opponents. All against ACC opponents. Um, He's awesome. He is by far the most consistent player they have on either side of the ball. He's by far the most explosive player they have uh, on a consistent basis. You know, a few weeks ago I was talking to someone on staff about game changers and how they don't have any on offense, and we're starting to maybe see some flashes of that. Um, But at that point, Brian Burns hasn't had him in quite as consistent because he was coming off of a couple of non-conference games. The stats weren't there. Yeah, the stat. The pressure was there, but he wasn't getting to it now. This past, I guess, month of the season – he's turned the corner to where he's being, you basically expect that out of him every single week. And he's now putting his fingerprints on games where he's changing them. And this Wake Forest was a, he did it against Miami FSU wasn't able to finish, but he did it against Wake Forest uh, where he has that sack on fourth down and that got the offense going, uh, He's he's changing games now, and that's exactly what FSU thought it was going to get in him.
1: Yeah, he looks like a dude in a contract here. He's playing up to every bit of that building. Yep. And he's bringing it. And that fourth down sack was huge. It changed the momentum of that game. It can't be understated. You know, but he was far from the only guy on defense that impressed. There were a lot of guys I liked on Saturday. Cooper, Robert Cooper did a great job clogging the middle when he got reps. DeMarcus Christmas, stats don't pop out at you, but he impacts that spot. Good job getting his hands up. Corey Durden keeps flashing. He keeps making plays that matter. Uh, I thought J-Rob played arguably the best game of his career. A couple times he lost contained, but in general, I thought he did a very good job against that system of hand on the edge. Wally cool. Amy had a big play, a guy who's been fairly quiet all of this year. Mm-hmm. At the linebacker spot, Leonard Warner in a reserve role, very good game. Seven Emmett tackles. Rice on that blitz when he sacked a guy, that's what a linebacker's supposed to look like Yeah, It was pleasant to see. Stanford Samuels played his ass off. There I go. I cursed. I tried not to, but it, uh,
0: we can deal with ass. Just but Stanford went to cornerback.
1: That. I got that tingly feeling in my body because I love seeing that kid at cornerback. Makes a play there. I thought he was very good. Levante Taylor struggled early on. That's yeah. why we saw Stanford move all over there. But in general, I thought the defense was very, very good on Saturday. They were put a little bit in a spin cycle there. Three drives in, their heads were spinning. Mm-hmm. But it was. Funny, basic is best for them in many ways. They sure. went base, they quit substituting, they kind of played straight up, they started clogging things up at the line of scrimmage, tackling improved, and voila, they suddenly played a much better game.
0: Voila, I think Harlan Barnett, yeah, I think the learning lesson there for him, and, and I love the way he's made adjustments every single game this season, you know, people get frustrated that there's still some, you know, third down plays where they are play too soft, uh, to Fan base, the Mets was certainly frustrated with the way that game started, and Willie Taggart was the one who told Harlan, "and like, Yo, man, just stop substituting guys." Willie said
1: he was frustrated. Well,
0: it was <laughs> it was weird because FSU was getting they were winning first down consistently those first couple drives, and then uh, Wake Forest would get a yard and they would go tempo while yeah. FSU was trying to substitute. And I think you know Harlan knows that this is a fairly deep and athletic defense, and that he knew he was going to have to run in a bunch of guys. Uh, a learning lesson is. You have enough talent to where you can substitute guys series for series yeah. rather than play for play.
1: I think that's, what, I think that's what we learned. If you want to substitute guys, you got to produce negative plays. Yeah. That's the biggest game against a team with tempo. you got to produce negative plays. That will usually provide you more of an opportunity. I'm not talking a loss of one or a mm-hmm. stop at line scrimmage. I'm talking sacks, hits in the backfield, driving a guy back. And you got to be on it. You got to be quick. FSC still at times is a little slow on making the shift change.
0: Mm -hmm. And that you you hope kind of comes over time with with familiarity with the scheme and then the coaching staff and familiarity with the players. That's that's been a
1: program issue though for several years. Sure. So I think there's players that still have to get driven into their head that when you're playing tempo, substitutions have to be done with a high level of Christmas. too, Yeah.
0: Because it wasn't, they weren't getting guys in, it was that they were getting in and the guys weren't getting set yeah. and that was killing them. And Wake does a really nice job with their scheme. They run this really long drawn out RPO where like the yeah. quarterback's running their, their mesh with,
1: point is dragged out.
0: Yes, very, very much so. And so what that does is that eliminates uh, plays in the backfield because of that. Uh, and it freezes the linebackers. It does a bunch of things, but what we saw from the Florida State Defense in response to that once they got the substitution you know issues figured out in the first half um, was depth. I think that's what stood out. And Wake Forest offense isn't great. It's not as bad as its defense is. Um, and Greg Dortch wasn't himself clear. Yeah, they career him. low in receiving It limited him to 24 yards, which is awesome. On an ankle injury. Yep, yep. But you, you still manage a way to keep him. He, I mean, he showed early on. He had that one play where he slipped under one defender, yep. and drew past another. Like, he can, you know, he he may have been hurt. He may not have been himself, but he still had some juice, and you're able to limit him. Yeah, but for me, it's the amount of guys that they played on defense, which they had to with over 100 snaps. Um the amount of guys that have played and how well they played. Uh, so you, you mentioned big Robert Cooper. He came off the bench with Frederick uh, Jones out. Coop was awesome, and he got better as the game went on. Mm-hmm. Like He was blowing up plays, and it may not show up in the stat line, but but he was either walling off uh, offensive linemen, not letting them move at all, or pushing them back into the backfield. Corey Durden was really productive. He continues to be a really nice rotational piece. You obviously know what you're getting in Marvin Wilson and DeMarcus Christmas at this point. Linebackers, Djax was good. Uh, Emmett Rice had the sack, like you said, Chris. But he also had a couple nice plays where he just sticks his nose in there, stops that little wedge that they want to do, and allows other guys to go and clean it up. He's physical and he's
1: decisive.
0: I uh, would like to see that more from DeKalin Brooks, who who seems to be kind of. Uh, Feeling through things sometimes. But
1: can DeKalin be that physical? I don't know if he's physically there's capable. There's a of certain. DeKalin's not a wuss. He's willing yeah. to stick his nose in there. Yeah,
0: there, there's a certain. I just limitation don't know if he's
1: capable of doing physically more that you
0: streak. have when you're five. DeKalin,
1: in my opinion, would be a phenomenal two-deep player at that position. Mm-hmm. It's concerning that he has to be a starter for FC. Yeah,
0: team. and. and my belief has been for a couple of weeks now, uh, based on um, intel I've gotten, is that Emmett Rice is the guy that they think can can change the outlook of that position once his knee is better. And you, can see them, you can see sometimes he feels confident on it, sometimes he's still kind of. He did on that blitz. He did, and that was a just a uh, crystallizing moment of like, oh, okay, that's what it can be. Yeah. Uh, like you said, Chris Leonard Warner plays well. DJAX, you know what you're getting. Um, Sekondre White was really productive. He still doesn't always know what he's doing out there, but he's at least going to fly around. I really like the idea. I tweeted this out of of uh, Emmett Rice, uh, Dontavis Jackson, and Sekondre White lineup at some point or another, uh, ne- like in the next year or so when he gets a little bit more familiar and yeah. Emmett Rice knows what he's doing. There's a nice touch of crazy to that lineup that you need at linebacker, and they've lacked that in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, secondary, I mean, I think Asante Samuel. You know that he's a uh,
1: he he's always dog, was man. described as a dog, and he lives up to Wolf that. Wolf.
0: He's good, man. Um, he he makes Levante, a big play. Levante
1: still on the struggle bus. He started that game really poorly. Got pulled at one point when Stanford. Went I don't know if there. he
0: got pulled or he pulled himself. But yeah. regardless, Stanford goes to corner. Um, which hopefully uh, LT
1: writes the ship. LT's a kid that cares. I don't think he's mailing it in. No, he I hasn't think he cares. T Mac on us. I
0: think he cares. <laughs> I think he cares too much. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier Brian Burns being a guy who's in a money year and is capitalized on it. I think Levante knows this is a bad year for him. Um, and it's almost, I told you before off podcast, but I had a friend in high school that was a really good pitcher and, uh, and Florida was coming to scout him. and That was his dream school. You know, I grew yeah. up in Orlando, and and he freaked out in that game uh, and and had one of his worst outings ever. And then was like inconsolable, like hid in the field house for hours, crying, sobbing. Uh, it's not not quite the same, but but V-tech Levante Samford
1: didn't help set the table for Levante with the struggles yeah, he had in those some, games.
0: Some guys see the light at the end of the tunnel and sprint to it, and other guys see it and can get a little panicked. And and that to me is what we've scene with him that's I, unfortunate I feel bad for him
1: I don't know I haven't had anybody tell me this I wonder if he's living a bit in his head
0: right now that's what it seems like and remember it was after the Sanford game when Willie Taggart was trying to console him after the game yeah basically. walking
1: off the field because he was very um, emotional yeah and
0: it was after Syracuse game too I think he was also very emotional so he's someone who's, who's very much a living in his feelings right now I can't relate to that <laughs> Yeah, um, but but the de- so the defense we're, we're
1: forgetting the message board hero of the football game. Oh Xavier Peters. Xavier Peters.
0: You know, so as the game's ending, you're down on the field. I'm trying to finish up the game story. I'm trying quick. to
1: avoid raindrops mm-hmm. as I'm getting down to the field. As Josh Kando is trying to kill a quarterback. <laughs> Not Which a I entirely missed. I didn't, had a good I didn't actually see that until I watched the replay because that's when I was in transit. Kendo had a good game,
0: and he's he getting, he's getting better. You can see him flashing more as so he gets in better uh, game shape. But it, yeah, so I'm not really watching closely in that final drive because I'm trying to get the game story done. And you see the ends of the play, like Xavier Peters is around there. But I keep seeing it on Twitter, I was like Xavier Peters needs to play yeah. more. Z-. I got went back and I watched the game twice over the weekend. I was like, oh. Now I get it. Yeah. It was only one series, but I liked, I, I noticed him earlier in the game on special teams on kickoff coverage. He was flying down the field and celebrating, like running off the sideline, screaming after each play. And I don't think he was even <laughs> in on a tackle, but. Uh, first
1: like, action, man. Guys love when it happens.
0: But, but the fact that he's playing with that kind of energy, yeah. um, it was cool that first drive, or so the only drive he was in on. Uh, I'm trying to think so it's an RPO play and he kind of slowly goes at the quarterback and hits him uh, but hits him late and it leads to a big play like he just he wasn't indecisive of whether he wanted to go and hit him or try to jump up and deflect the path as soon as he got that first taste of physicality I think uh, he goes and deflects the next play uh, is in on one tackle and then has a really like uh, like wrapped up uh, powerful tackle on this on this final play of that drive.
1: So Got push off the edge yep. and showed pursuit, In pursuit and just yep. a general like hyperactivity to him, which yeah. was fun to see.
0: People keep talking about that linebacker. You know, I'm not sure. um
1: Nah, uh, I think once he year. dips his beak in at the end, he's going to yeah. fully take to if, it. They want him at the end. I Mark's, think he wants Mark Snyder, back, really. as long as he's employed here, wants that kid at that position. So
0: you're going to need someone to be the high energy guy if Brian Burns goes, which he probably should go after yeah. this season. Um, you're you're going to need someone. expect to make
1: the leap, yep. but you need Peters, you need Briggs, you need you know, J. Rock. All those, those guys are going to yep. be important to that segment long term. So. Defense was good. They
0: uh, they limit Wake to I think 1.9 yards per carry on the ground. There's some sacks involved in that, but I think it was three yards a carry for Wake if you take away the right sacks. Jeff. That's still really really good. It's a it's a heck of a game for the defense. They kind of carried FSU. Uh, I like the intensity. I like the balance. I like the diversity and depth there this is the first time I've actually been excited to like recap game a game after this season it's true like I I spent most of my Saturday rewatching the game a couple times and doing analysis a little extra more because there's actually something to learn other than like oh man the offensive line sucks yeah it was nice it's refreshing and I and I and I'm curious of how that ends up trickling down throughout you know that
1: people who are actually living it not covering it the the To move on to the Bob Ferranti skit, the special teams has been quite the journey this year. They've been better the last couple weeks as a whole. Mm -hmm. But Ricky Aguayo is the most inconsistent Aguayo in the history of Aguayos. (laughs) Uh, this year, this version of him. It's absurd. I mean, it's nuts. you You'll go out it. and You have no drop, clue who goes up, out there.
0: It's as close to a 50-50 proposition as you can get without statistically it being a 50-50. What Will, is he on the Willy year,
1: 60%? It, uh, no, I think he's like 58 at this point. Is he really? Willie <laughs> was not real <laughs> excited with him when he missed a kick and was still smiling about it. You but can I, go watch the replay if you don't know what I'm talking about. I think
0: I'm, I'm not a lip reader, but I want to guess it was a get the
1: yeah, off the it, field. It didn't look like he was real pleased, but it's funny. We've had the Willie sticking with him. Yeah. moment of the season we've had uh, Willie showing some emotion towards him I don't know where the Willie-Ricky relationship is these days I'm interested to I,
0: see. I like it I like when he shows his ass a little bit I think she do it at half more sometimes during games i um, We'll see how, how – kicker's a different breed, though. Like once, yeah, one, once you you of Yeah, once you lose that, <laughs> it's like a golfer with the yips. Um, yeah, once, once you kind of lose a little bit of confidence. Ricky's going to win
1: a game someday with like a 63-yarder after missing like a 28-yarder. It's basically going to be Tampa Bay Bucks kicking situation on Sunday comes to real life with Ricky Aguayo this year. I didn't That's just to. the point I
0: didn't, I'm a Jax fan, and that was – I'm uh, not a Bucs fan, but I'm that was done. fun to watch. So, Clemson this week. Real quick, we're uh, 45 minutes in, wrap up here. Clemson this week, I think both you and I are skeptical about what this team can do about it, and it's not about winning or losing, I think, at this point. I know that's not what people want to hear, but I think it's about how you look and how you perform when you get punched in the mouth, which is inevitably going to happen.
1: I expect them to lose, but I actually think they're going to play fairly well. Do
0: you think they're going to cover? Yes, I do. I I do, too. I have this weird feeling they're going to cover.
1: Now, they can't afford to start slow like they did on Saturday. Clemson will take advantage of that, put you behind two touchdowns, turn you into a one-dimensional team. You're dead. Mm-hmm. If that happens against Clemson, You're gonna, they're going to slaughter you. They're going oh, yeah. to make NC State look like a warm-up.
0: If you get in a position where you have to pass and the, that defensive line knows you're but, passing.
1: But if you come <laughs> to play and keep it interesting for a half, you can make it a game down the stretch. Yeah. It can be similar to how it kind of played out last year at their place. Um I think FSU needs to run the ball a lot, even if they don't have a lot of success. And I think they need to take big shots downfield in the passing game. I don't think there needs to be a whole lot of dink and dunk with the passing game. I think that's kind of poison with Clemson. I think with Clemson, you try to get one-on-ones on on the outside, and you need your receivers to go win them and hope DeAndre delivers really good balls, which he's capable of. And defensively, you got to bring it. Etienne's going to challenge the hell out of you with the running game. He's the most underappreciated player in the ACC – He's a phenomenal running back. He's
0: averaging eight yards a carry, like on ninety-eight carries. And nobody pays attention. And he leaves the country it. in touchdowns.
1: Trevor Lawrence, you need to hit a lot often, as Mickey Andrews would say, "Play to the echo of the whistle." And you just you got to bring it. You got to play hard. And you can't have the major miscues of missing field goals. That should be give me's. You can't have shanked punts, bad punt return situations. You gotta, you know play a good game in all situations and nail a couple big things and give yourself a chance.
0: That's the ingredient for an upset. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to play pretty close to, to perfect, but I think this team has some confidence. I like we've addressed, they are moving in the right direction every single week. I think since that Syracuse loss, you've seen something to be like, okay, this is a little bit different. This is a little bit better. Uh, grow on it, build on what you've done and, and win or lose. If you're, Still continuing to progress in that direction, I think that ends up setting a nice a nice precedent
1: for what you can do to finish off the year, too. Yeah. You can still be successful in meeting some of the goals you want to meet, such as bowl eligibility and things of that sort. Mm-hmm. All right. So I just pulled out a gray hair out of my head. I think that's a good time to end the podcast because I'm here. You're, you're getting more of them by today. The mm-hmm.
0: Part of being really stressed out. All right, guys, thanks for listening to the 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sonone. Chris, thanks for joining me. Josh, thanks for joining us earlier and being distracted the entire time while watering your plants. Much appreciated. Guys, we'll talk to you next time. Uh, thanks for listening.